We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Lakers Nation, welcome in to the LakersNation.com podcast. I am Trevor Lane, and today, special edition of the show. We've got a guest. It's Lakers legend, five-time NBA champion, Derek Fisher. Derek, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate you having me, Trev. Hope everything's well, man. It's so far, so good with the Lakers win last night. I feel a lot better <laughs> after that one, as, as I know you do, too. Um, Derek, before we get to the Lakers, though, let's start with this. You know, you've coached in the NBA, you've coached in the WNBA. Now you've taken on a challenge of coaching a high school team. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what brought that about? Yeah, I mean, you know, first and foremost, man, I, I the, the passion and love that I have for the game of basketball runs through and through. And so regardless of the level or the circuit or whatever you want to call it, um, just that love for investing in the game, giving back to the game. Uh, basketball has provided so much opportunity for me. And I feel that there are so many things that I can and want to share with other young people that love basketball, boys and girls. Um, so the Crespi High School opportunity, uh, the, the timing wasn't really planned. Uh, but, uh, you know, having kids in high school that, that love the game of basketball and, you know, that I want to help them uh, and anything that they're involved in. But, you know, as I mentioned, I also just love the game. And just like all the other parents and people that have opinions about high school basketball and, and club team basketball and what's wrong with basketball, I figured um, instead of me just sitting around the table complaining like everybody else, uh, you know, roll my sleeves up and get involved and, and see if I can make a difference, not just for my kids, but for, for all the boys that, that play at Crespi and hopefully we can build something special. Is that, is that an added challenge having your own kids uh, on the team? Like how do you, how do you manage that dynamic? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think externally it is uh, potentially a greater challenge uh, internally. Uh, I'm, 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 pretty pure when it comes to the game of basketball and i very rarely took shortcuts or uh, i very rarely was given anything um and i think it helped me to develop a level of grit and mental toughness and physical toughness in my approach that 
even with my own kids, uh, I think it's important that they earn everything that they get. And just because their dad is the coach, it doesn't mean they're going to start. It doesn't mean they're going to be able to do whatever they want to do. And and we're just going to be okay with it. Like the, the standard is almost higher for them in my eyes to, to play the game the right way, to be great members of a team, to be great teammates and earn the respect and trust from, from their guys to be able to go out and play the game that they want to play. Um, in saying that, I do think externally, some people due to whatever experiences they've either seen, observed or had themselves, like there is a kind of daddy ball, uh, you know, kind of concern or people that imply that's the only reason I'm maybe involved in this. Um, I can't really get caught up in that conversation. Uh, if a parent has that concern, my door is always going to be open. We can always have honest conversations about where their son is or, you know, if I'm coaching girls club team in the spring and summer, where their daughter is. Um, and I'm going to try and be as objective and as honest as possible while still making sure we all understand these kids are in high school and where they are today has nothing to do with where they might be when they're 49 years old, like me, like it's, it's a long life ahead. So um, it is a part of it, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to be perfect Trev, but I'm, I'm definitely going to try to and, and understand that some people could think of it that way. I, I, I gotta tell you, I grew up as a, as a coach's kid um, and there's pros and cons that come with that. How, how do your kids feel about having you as their coach? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they would probably answer it a certain way with me in the room and then a certain <laughs> way without me in the room. Um, so far, I do believe they are enjoying it because they know that I am pure in my heart when it comes to the game of basketball. Like it, it I just don't think you can take shortcuts or be given a quicker way to the top than somebody else just because of your last name or just because, you know, we're part of the same family. You don't get a quicker way to the top. You have to put the work in to get there. Um, and so I, I think, at least from my perspective, it's why they are enjoying it because they, I believe they feel a sense of fulfillment that's coming from whatever opportunities they're getting on the court is because they're earning it and by the work that they're doing on a daily basis in practice, et cetera. And, you know, I'm a serious guy, but I'm, I'm definitely a player's type of coach. Um, so I, I think that's another reason why they, they probably are enjoying it because we, we don't run and do as many negative things or things that have negative connotations when it comes mm -hmm. to sports. We don't do as many of those things because I remember how it felt, you know, where coaches just threw you on the line and and just ran you to death for every mistake that you made. Um, some of that, some of that works for some coaches and some teams. You know, me personally, I, I think it there's can be a different approach, and you can still find your way to achieving at a high level. Okay, that's that's interesting because I, I come from an education background. Are, so you're talking a bit about positive reinforcement there. Is that something that's part of your your coaching philosophy, something that you lean upon? Yeah, for sure, 100%. I, I, I believe um, strongly that accountability and ownership um, and disciplined teams can still be teams that are primarily surrounded and filled with positive conversations, positive reinforcement. Um, we don't have to, you know, beat our kids down and tell them how bad they are in order to get the best out of them. 
you know, we can hold them accountable, but always do it in a way that ultimately helps them to get better and evolve and grow. And if all they feel is that my coach doesn't believe in me, my, my coach doesn't trust me, my coach doesn't want me doing this, my coach doesn't want me, if that's all they're hearing, then that's what they believe is the reality of their experience. Uh, and so uh, in some ways you have to over-exaggerate, in my opinion, a level of positive reinforcement that may not always be exactly how you feel. You Like you may know that your player maybe shouldn't be doing some of the things that they're doing. But if, especially for me at Crespi now, like we have a really young team. So I can't approach coaching a freshman or sophomore or a junior in a way similar to a senior that's played varsity basketball for four years already. Many of our guys have one or less varsity basketball experience in terms of years. So being more positive with them to me is important to get them to where we want them to be four years from now, as opposed to just trying to squeeze everything that they're supposed to be out of them in the ninth grade or 10th grade. Now you're, you've talked about the, the love for the game and how that's driving you to, to coach this team. How much have you had to adapt things? Like when you compare how you would run a practice for professionals compared to what you're doing at the high school level, how much adjustment is there? Is there a degree of just basketball is basketball? How, how do you approach that? Yeah, no, it, it, there's definitely some adjustments. I mean, from the pace that the game is played, um, the shot clock's obviously different. You do have more time per possession to get things accomplished. Um, you know, you have a lot more time to practice as well, which is not something that comes very often in the pro game. Once you kind of start playing preseason basketball, it's kind of downhill from there in terms of practice. Uh, and so I, I think at least mentally, I've made that adjustment of not trying to hurry the team up per se to be, you know, where we want them to be, you know, 30 days, 45 days, 60 days from now, like, we're actually going to have practices at a high enough rate that we can continue to get better as the season goes on. And um, so those adjustments are there. And then also just, I think, adjusting to the fact that, you know, you're coaching 14 through 18 year old young men uh, that, and young boys that are, they're high school kids and their days can be long and their weeks can be long and they're still people that are growing and evolving they, they have friends they have girlfriends or, or friends that they want to hang out with they want to go to football games on friday night they want to go to the homecoming dance on the weekends they they want to be well-rounded people they want to go to the halloween festival with their family on the weekend and i think to some degree like previous generations like we were willing to sacrifice all of that for the sake of being great and it's not right or wrong, uh, but I do believe we've learned enough about mental health and just overall personal wellness that I ch- I'm trying to build room for our kids to just be kids while still building a great basketball program. Um, so, you know, I try to, to factor that into the week and how I plan it out. So the kids have a chance to kind of breathe and take a step back and, and be 14 and you know, stay up and play video games, 2K or whatever until one in the morning and not not have to wake up every morning at 530 because the coach likes to practice at six o'clock every morning. Like it's not necessary, in my opinion, to, you know, help the kids be the best they can be. 
Let kids be kids. I like that. I like that. Yeah, that's that's something that I think is absolutely critical, especially when you start talking about burnout and things like that with yeah. young student athletes. Um, Derek, you know, we we should talk a little bit about the the Lakers. They picked up their first win of the season uh, last night against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, you do a great job, obviously, on Spectrum Sportsnet. What what were your main Thank takeaways you. from from that win? Um, yeah, I think the main takeaways are kind of for me what I anticipated with you know, such change within the group, right? Like you have this core set of guys that played the second half of the season last year after the trade deadline and then into the Western Conference Finals, um, you know, last postseason. But then you have almost like another kind of four, five, six guys that are completely new to this Lakers team. And it's going to take some time to kind of find the best ways to blend all of the talent and the depth that the Lakers do have. Um, so I wasn't surprised that, you know, things are not starting out. Like they don't look like the best team in the league last night, um, but that's okay. Um, it, it's going to take some time to get to their best version. Um, I think the minute, not necessarily restriction, but balancing LeBron's minutes over the course of the season is, is it makes a lot of sense to me whether 29 is the number, you know, that's an internal thing to decide. But I, I, if you balance it and 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 don't always respond just based on the current circumstances, then it allows you, like in a game like last night, if you want to stretch him for an entire quarter, you can because you balanced it well the two or three games leading up to that game. Um, so I imagine that the Lakers are going to spend a lot of time week to week, you know, kind of circling – where those opportunities are to kind of keep him at a 30 to maybe 32 minute range so that then if you need to stretch him into 36 to 38, you know, on a Friday night or on the first night of a back-to-back -back or the second night of a back-to-back, -back, you can still do that. Um, and then, you know, the AD conversation will always be there. Yeah. Um, I think people expect him to score 30 and have 15 rebounds every night. And that's just not how the game is built. And it's not the way the Lakers don't play in a way that allows AD to, to offensively produce in that manner. Uh, he's the defensive anchor. He anchors the team in terms of rebounding and just physical presence. It takes a lot of energy. Um, and then he's, you know, bigs are the offense isn't run through AD in that way either. So he's not going to be the type of player Nikola Jokic is, et cetera. So, so far, I, you know, I, Torian Prince um, has, has shown some great, um, you know, adds to this team, being able to shoot the ball, being able to guard multiple positions. Um, Jackson Hayes has been able to show, you know, that lob threat, that high energy type of player that the, the Lakers need. Um, I think it's because, you know, Rui Hachimura getting Jared Vanderbilt healthy. Uh, you know, those are going to be important aspects to this team, but I like their chances. And I like what I see from D'Angelo Russell so far. Like, I think he's more committed on the defensive end. He's spoken about wanting to be a better player there, and be consistent on that end of the floor. And, and I think he's doing that. His, his minutes have been quality. His decision-making has been quality. And um, I think that's going to help the Lakers over the course of the season as well um, as they move forward. But NBA is going to be wild this year, man. It's going to be hard for any team to rack up a bunch of wins in a row like they, it's they're going to be beating each other up a lot this year.
for sure, especially in the Western Conference. It is indeed going to be the Wild West. Um, yeah. From a coaching perspective, anything that when you see Anthony Davis having these some of these scoring droughts that we saw against against Denver, obviously not an issue last night against Phoenix at 29 points. Is that something that you have to consciously address to try to get him more touches? Is it something like that? Or do you just say, look, he's making the right play. He's getting doubled. He's kicking it out. We just have to do a better job draining shots. Yeah, I think I think it's a balance of both. Um, you're, you're, you always want your best players to be in position to, you know, impact the game because they create opportunity for the other guys and, and efficient opportunities for the other guys. So, uh, you know, the more attention AD garners, uh, the higher percentage shots other players on the team are, are going to get. Um, that's the beauty of playing with, you know, two cornerstone you know, top 75 Hall of Fame type guys. Like, they make the game easy for everybody else. So in some ways, you have to create situations that allow LeBron and AD to kind of be the focal point of what you're doing so that the game is easy for everybody else. And the Lakers have added three-point shooting. They have it. Um, so it's not really a question of whether or not they can make those shots. Um, I think over the course of a game, sometimes uh, the best players just end up making things happen that aren't necessarily coming from design or from the coach or necessarily what the game is giving them. Uh, they go take what they want the game to give them. And I think that's what, what many people think of AD, they don't, what they perceive to be a guy that's going to take control of a game, they don't necessarily see. But AD's impact is oftentimes more nuanced than statistical output. Right. So AD could finish with a game with 18 points, 11 rebounds, three blocks, four assists, two steals and 12 shots changed. <laughs> uh, you know, eight hockey assists because he got double teamed. He kicked mm -hmm. it out to a guy. He threw one more pass to the corner. The Lakers made a shot. So over the course of like if you add up his statistical output, no, it's like he did score 40 and had 18 rebounds and, and for like all the things that we think we want to see, he actually does it. It just doesn't always show up in the point column. Um, and that, you know, that's just part of being on the purple and gold though. Like it just, you're compared to Shaq and Kobe and Kareem and Magic and yep. Kyle Gasol and that like, so it, it's, it's, it's always difficult to navigate that part of it. Um, ultimately if the Lakers win, that that's what kind of shuts all the noise up. Yeah, that that's that's part of the challenge too. Is just if you look at the box score, sometimes you see nights where he's not, he doesn't he's not a superstar by doing the things that we tend to think of a superstar doing in terms of just taking over a game and going one on one and dunking all over everybody. He can do that stuff from time to time, but he's so great in so many other areas, but they don't always show up in that box score. Um, let, let's talk about the backcourt a little bit. D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves. How do you how do you see them being utilized? I see a lot of interchangeability between the two of them, but what are you doing with them if if you're running this team? Yeah, I mean, I, definitely the versatility at the guard position is going to be a, a plus this year. I think it it allows when LeBron is on the floor. I think the way D'Angelo's playing right now, the way he's physically moving. Um, and, and then Austin Reeves, as he kind of continues to find his rhythm early in the season after a long summer, you know, they carefully kind of managed his preseason. So even early in this season, like Austin is going to, he's going to make a jump, 
you know, by the time we get to Thanksgiving and then Christmas, he's going to be playing even better than what we've seen from him thus far. Um, but I, I, I like a lot of the offense being initiated by those guys and LeBron kind of being off the ball, AD being off the ball, because I think the Lakers can benefit from more ball and player movement in certain possessions throughout the course of the game uh, that will soften and massage the defense a little more. Uh, the tendency, and we used to do it as well, right? It's like, okay, things are getting tight. Let's just throw it in the shack and he's going to make something happen. Or let's just give the ball to Kobe. He's going to make something happen. Mm -hmm. And sometimes becoming stagnant by assuming that your great players can just go make something great happen it's not really the best recipe for success. So I, I like the fact that the Lakers can initiate with Austin Reeves. They can initiate with D'Angelo Russell. They can initiate with Gabe Vincent. Torian Prince is a capable ball handler. Like there's a lot of levers that Darvin Ham can pull coming out of timeouts that can create, you know, easy opportunities for guys. Um, and I think LeBron and AD can be great screeners. Um, you know, if you think about Steph Curry and some of the other great scorers, in the game when they set screens it just it wreaks complete havoc on defenses because you can't switch oftentimes you, you're putting your best defenders on those guys uh so even utilizing lebron and ad in a lot of screening situations um you know could be things for the lakers to continue to look at but i i don't know if scoring points will necessarily always be their issue um I think it's just how they score the points. Like LeBron can just put his head down and go score points. But in a seven-game series, right, like it's it's more how are the Lakers scoring as opposed to just scoring. Um, those are going to be some of the things they have to consider and, and, and continue to think about. So you mentioned not just throwing the ball to your great players and waiting for them to do something great. And, you know, I I mentioned to our, our channel members that, uh, that you were going to be coming on and asked if, you know, is there anything – anybody would really really been curious about and i thought i was going to get a lot of questions about point four i got a question though that was about 2010 as wanting to know your thoughts game three against the celtics there's less than a minute left you go coast to coast everybody was expecting you in that moment to slow things down hand it to kobe let him do his thing you take off and you score over three celtics and one our channel members want to know what were you thinking in that moment? Yeah, it was were a lot of like thoughts in that moment. Like I think uh, you know, we were we had started to kind of get control of the game. I think we were up three and and when I got the rebound, like it was kind of crowded in the backcourt. And so my first thought was, all right. I only have eight seconds to get the ball up the court. And I'm looking around and surveying. I see a lot of bodies in the backcourt. So my first thought was like, okay, let me get out of here and get to some more open space so that, you know, nobody sneaks up behind me to try to steal it or I don't end up getting trapped in a, in a bad area on the court. So I just wanted to kind of get the ball up the court with some pace, kind of get out of the traffic. So as I start pushing the ball up the floor, like I continue to realize that there's more guys behind me and over there than there are in front of me. And so one of the things that we worked on almost every day was to take like a direct line to the basket. If, if there's nobody in front of you, 
that means you have a direct line to the basket. So you either drive the ball to the basket or cut to the basket if you have a direct line there. So I just kept pushing it and kept pushing it. And I, at around a little over half court, I was like, what? No, these guys are not going to be able to get back fast enough to stop me from getting all the way to the basket. Um, and so, you know, I just kind of took the risk of getting there before they could get back. And, you know, it ended up working out. Uh, could have obviously gone entirely the other way. The referee could not have caught a foul. It could have missed the layup. Uh, but in that moment, my only thought was doing something that I felt like would help us, you know, kind of close this game out and, and kind of put a dagger into the heart of the Celtics for that night, um, which part of that motivation came from some comments that Paul Pierce had after game two, um, where he talked about the series being over and, you know, we're not coming back to LA. And that really bothered me and frustrated me. Uh, Cause that, I mean, that is what happened to some degree in 08, right? Like we, mm -hmm. we didn't take care of our business at home. We gave up game four and they ended up winning the series back in Boston. And so after not taking care of business in game two, like game three for me was, uh, even though I was at an advanced age in terms of NBA years, uh, I felt like it was another one of those powerful moments where like my focus and, and the commitment to making sure we won that game, no matter what, um, that was as high as it's been, you know, uh, almost in my career where that fourth quarter was all about making sure we won that game. Well, that play certainly exemplified that. I mean, you you went and scored over over Glenn Davis, scored over Kevin Garnett on that play. Ray Allen, I think, even came came over and tried to contest, but you were able to just grit your teeth and get the ball up on the backboard and and put it in and ultimately seal the win. Certainly was an incredible moment. Um, I guess finish things up. Paul Pierce, he doesn't say those things. Do you think you're still in that mindset in that moment, or was it that kind of whiteboard material to think that that gave you that little extra edge? Uh, yeah, I think. I think the focus level would have been the same, uh, but, you know, at that point, like that's our fifth time in the finals and, you know, in a decade and any little thing that you can use to focus you on the right things, uh, which was just winning the series. Uh, it wasn't really so much those comments made me feel like I needed to go out and score 20 points. Mm -hmm. but those comments made me feel like there's no way we can let these guys win this series this time after losing to them in 08. Uh, and so that, that little extra kind of even, uh, even subconsciously to some degree, you know, kind of behind that first layer of thought. Um, I think it for sure had a lot, like in that fourth quarter, and, and I had to give Phil a lot of credit too. Like in that fourth quarter, you know, we, we had kind of certain rotations and substitution patterns and he came back to me early in that fourth quarter with like 9.46 or so to go in the fourth as opposed to waiting another two or three minutes. And I think also having that longer stretch in the fourth quarter where I could really kind of settle in and – um. And then we just went to some one, some one, two pick and roll between Kobe and I kind of going back to the point I made earlier. We're using LeBron and AD as a screener. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I just came off a few pick and roll situations that involved Kobe where they didn't want to switch and it created some scoring opportunities for me to, um, you know, to help us maintain that lead. So, I, you know, I think the result would have been the same. We would have found a way to win the game. But I just remember personally, like Jim Hill asked me if I have any response to Paul Pierce's comments. And on the inside, I did. But on the outside, I I didn't. Like, there wasn't anything to say in response. It was just, let's just go out here and win this game and and make sure we bring this series back to L.A. at a minimum. Um, But for sure, win the series overall. And thankfully, that's what we were able to do. You responded on the court. That's, That's for sure. That's for sure. Well, Derek, I, w- I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on here. This was uh, this was a blast chatting hoops with you. Appreciate it. And um, again, I really enjoy all your work over on Spectrum. And uh, and best of luck with Crespi this season. Thank you, Trey. Appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Make sure you do subscribe to the Lakers Nation podcast on YouTube. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts as well. Till next time, everybody. See ya and stay safe. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.